Hi, I'm Simon Drew, and welcome to the Practical Stoic Podcast, where I dive deep into the ancient philosophy of Stoicism. If you find value in this podcast, then you can become a patron by going to patreon.com forward slash Simon J.E. Drew. Otherwise, you can head to simonjedrew.com to find my writings, my music, and also information about my one-on-one coaching. But apart from that, I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Practical Stoic Podcast. Now, before we jump into the episode today, do remember that Kai Whiting's new book called Being Better, Stoicism for a World Worth Living In is available for purchase. All you have to do is Google Kai Whiting Being Better and you will find where you can buy it. And I highly recommend grabbing that book. If you haven't already listened to the interview that we did last week, go ahead, listen to that. You'll really enjoy the conversation. I had such a blast talking to uh, Kai once again. He's one of my favorite people in the stoic community who I I believe really understands this philosophy and what it's all about. And and, and I couldn't recommend his book highly enough. So uh, as I I said, Google that book, listen to the interview, and then on to today's episode. So today, we have a wonderful guest for you, somebody who I really enjoyed talking to for the first time, none other than Catherine Coromilas. Now, Catherine and I hadn't met before this uh, this podcast, but uh, man, we had such a great conversation. I really enjoyed talking with her because we share a few common interests in terms of creativity and writing and obviously philosophy and and, uh, and I'm really glad that we got to have this conversation, and I want to tell you a little bit more about Catherine before we dive in, and I also want to tell you uh, about the Stoicon X for Women uh, that is coming up very soon on June 5th, and, uh, and, and you can actually uh, buy tickets via the links in the show notes below. But I'll tell you about Catherine, then we'll dive a little bit more into Stoicon X Women. So... Catherine Coromilas is a writer, educator, and co-organizer and host of Stoicon X Women 2021. She presented at Stoicon X Athens 2019 on journaling practices and hosted a four-hour journaling with the Stoics discussion workshop at Stoicon X 2020. She's the host of Stoic Salon, a Facebook group dedicated to reading and writing with the Stoics, and is launching a new podcast called The Stoic Salon, where she'll be talking about life, love, work, play, the universe, and Stoicism with leading women Stoics and Stoic Curious. She's collaborating with Dr. Ranjini George on a book called Journaling with the Stoics. She creates bespoke creative play experiences where she helps anyone to reignite their creativity, reimagine their purpose, and use ancient wisdom to thrive. Stoic on X Women will be happening on Saturday, June 5th, UK time. The theme is Practical Paths to Flourishing. And as I said earlier, you can buy tickets, and I hope you do, uh, via the links below at uh, pathstoflourishing.org. And now, just so you know, it's not only for women. Men can go along as well, and there's a whole bunch of amazing guests there including one of our regular guests on the show, Sharon LaBelle. And so, again, I hope you go along. I hope you enjoy uh, all these amazing speakers uh, in this beautiful theme, Practical Paths to Flourishing. Uh, So, without any further ado, I really hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did with none other than Catherine Coromilas. Catherine, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm really excited to be talking to you. And uh, and I guess I, I just want to first just 
give you the chance to, uh, you know, I, I didn't even know that you were Australian until, you know, we got on the call. So there's got to be heaps more that I don't know about you. And uh, same will be with, with the listeners as well. So why don't you just introduce yourself and, and tell, me, uh, tell me what you do? Yeah, so I'm Catherine and I currently identify as a writer, a teacher and a gentle, joyful stoic. Um, I, um, I, I do writing courses online, but I'm mostly interested in writing as a form of mindfulness, meditation, um, with certain creative leaps. Um, I'm, I do, I run workshops and work with people, um, with creative recovery and stoic philosophy kind of, um, informs the work that I do. And uh, that's kind of me at the moment. That was a really brief intro. I'm sure we can no, I love expand it. on yeah. that. I'm and stage fearful at the moment. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I'm so excited to talk to you because there's there's definitely so much. You know, as I was saying before before the interview, there's so much overlap in terms of I, I guess the things that we're interested in. You know, I'm, I'm also really exploring kind of creativity at the moment and how philosophy can interact with that and help, mm. you know, to, to, uh, you know, awaken parts of, uh, the, the mind and consciousness that would otherwise lay dormant, you know? And, and I think that, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited to dive into all these things. Now, there is one thing that I wanted to know, cause I, I did see on your website that you call yourself a, a gentle stoic. And, you know, it made me think of something that Seneca said because he he wrote, uh, he, he was kind of talking about, uh, you know, I want to approach this in my milder style, you know, not necessarily in the hard stoicism that you may know, but in my milder style. And thought, yeah, you know, Seneca was somewhat a, a milder stoic. He definitely appreciated the importance of um, you know, emotion and feeling and 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 all kind of uh, expressions of life. But I wanted to ask, what, what does that mean to you, a gentle stoic? What does that mean? Um, apologies, I'm a bit distracted by the flash of sunlight in Scotland. Oh. Um, but <laughs> I'll, I'll try and recover. Um, so I think what I mean by gentle stoicism is um, I think the vibe out there is that stoicism is really hard love. It's like tough, hard love. Um, and the focus and the branding, if I can call it that, of of what you see out there, very strict, strong images of very hard marble statued men um, um, with, and the colour schemes are kind of black and white and really tough looking. And um, there's a sense of, um, a sense of, you know, a, that to be a stoic, you really need to have absolute control over emotions uh, and I'm not I'm not suggesting the suggestion is that you don't feel emotions you certainly feel them but there's a sense that you dive in and you fix it and you're really tough and mm. you can do it and um, I'm not sure that stoicism is really about that at all and I think that I feel that it's a gentle compassionate philosophy and what I'm really interested in is exploring the, the gentleness of it. If you if you read the meditations, Marcus Aurelius's meditations, I find them so moving. Um, and I've I spent um, about a year reading the meditations every day and just doing a private kind of writing practice with them and with Marcus. <laughs> and uh, 
felt him so kind and gentle and almost um, a kind of a whisper, a whispering reminder of um, what to pay attention to, um, of how to not be distracted by <clears throat> whatever is distracting <clears throat> in the world. Mm. And this constant de- gentle nudging towards, hey, you know what's going on, just keep focusing, you'll get there. And it's just, I just felt his voice as, as this gentle companion. Mm. And um, did you want to jump in at that point? No, no, no. Yeah. Continue, yeah, because I like I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm loving where you're going. I, I guess. Look, if if I could add anything, it, it would just yeah. be that I I really resonate with that because I've had the same experience of you know recognizing that this philosophy, uh, you know, when you go on your own kind of personal journey through Stoicism, I guess. One of the things that should happen is it should allow you to awaken parts of yourself that you didn't know existed before, but mm. then kind of come to life, right? That to me, that's 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 this idea of living in agreement with nature. You know, it, mm. it is your own internal nature so it should awaken that, but also, um, you know. It, nature as the whole, as they would have talked about it as well, in terms of feeling at home in a cosmos that you were born out of, you know what I mean? And so, um, you know, I, I, I resonate with this idea that, uh, you know, stoicism has this side of it that, um, you know, is, is gentle and encourages us to, uh, you know, maybe something that I would add is, you know, one of my favorite quotes from Epictetus, which I share with every single one of my clients, and it's probably the most important thing that I try to get them to do, is he says, personal growth requires two things, self-scrutiny and also self-kindness, you know. Mm-hmm. And I often find that the people who come to me, um, sometimes all they need is just to be kinder to themselves, you know, just to mm-hmm. give themselves some space, some time, some patience to actually find what it is that they're looking for, but not in a grasping way, mm. in, in a patient and kind way. And, and, and I, I, mm. I, don't, I don't know if there's anything more valuable than that for personal growth in terms of really just recognising that we need to be kinder to ourselves and give ourselves mm. that space. And it seems like that's the same sort of direction that you're going as well. Mm. And also I, I think what interests me is the idea of taking responsibility and that that means choosing how to live. And it's not mm. prescriptive. Stoicism just doesn't give uh, a pres- it's not a prescriptive model. So that means that for every person or every parent, it, there's not one best way, one stoic way to do parenting. Um, mm. And I shouldn't talk about parenting because I'm not a parent, but I could talk <laughs> about writing or being a writer uh, or just being a person. There's no perfect model for it. Um, mm. There's a sense of um, an intuition towards you know being the person that you need to be. There's a sense of examining who you are an invitation to working out what your nature is. What have you been put on this earth to do? And I don't mean that in some kind of, you know, woo, kind of airy-fairy sort of a way, but what have you been, what, what is naturally your talent? What, what, what just naturally is you? What are you born to do? And we have a sense of that, or at least a sense, a curiosity about that. And um, I think that's, that's probably the, the most interesting challenge for me about uh, what I've been, and I'm very new to Stoicism, 
um, you know, what I've been reading about stoicism and learning is that the invitation is to work out and to examine yourself and to act um, in accordance to your your nature. And if your nature is, I won't even go there. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's great. You, know, you say something there, um, you know, that we do have a sense or at least a curiosity about what it is that our true nature is internally. And, and um, you know, I think, I think I came to that understanding last year uh, just in a flash of inspiration where I was kind of thinking, you know what, like it's similar to that passage in the Bible where it talks about consider the lilies of the field and, you know, God will take care of the things of the morrow you take care of now, mm. you know, and uh, this idea of drawing ourselves back into that internal compass that that is this, you know, it's it's the attention that we have access to if we'll actually, you know, pay attention to it. But but nonetheless, the, the inspiration that came to me, was, I was kind of just thinking, you know, it's like, why would it be that every single thing on this planet or in this cosmos kind of has a natural pull in a certain direction? Like a lion doesn't get up in the morning and think, what am I going to do today? It just gets up and it yeah. does what it does, right? Yeah. And I sort of thought, okay, maybe that's what the Stoics are trying to get at. There is an internal compass that you have mm. and you can mm. get access to it. You just got to pay attention and try to know yourself, you know, know who you are. Yeah. And if yeah. you could do that, but you, you talk about this inclination, you talk, you know, like uh, this, this curiosity, how do you, how do you think, this is the question I've been trying to figure out for the past, I would say year and a half is how do you teach somebody to listen to that or how do you even teach them to recognize that part of themselves that is pulling them in a certain direction towards what would be their own unique nature you know how, how does that for, for want of a better word how does that manifest itself in your life you know how do you see that and feel it yeah I think that's probably one of the hardest questions to answer because everything is set up to not allow that space or that quiet to really work it out yeah. And I might go back a bit and then come back to this a bit when you were talking about finding your nature and trying to identify it. I was reminded of that passage in the meditations where uh, Marcus Aurelius refers to the Pythagoreans and they, their invitation to go out for an early morning walk and just to observe. I actually did this this morning, um, just to observe the skies, the heavens, the heavens, um, you know, the moon, the stars, and just to notice that they just do their job every day. So as you mm. said, the tiger doesn't or the lion doesn't wake up one day and say, I want to be a bird. Um, so the stars don't want to be uh, clouds and the moon doesn't want to try to be, well, I don't know, I haven't spoken to the moon lately, but I feel <laughs> that the moon just kind of knows, knows that it's the moon and just does that. And so there's a sense of in the invitation by the Pythagoreans to take note of that and to see that nature just totally acts in accordance with the nature that they were, that everyone, that the, the items in the world, the things in the world, the, the bodies in the world were born with. Hmm. And um, for us, that seems like a weird concept because we have such a broad and wide and long reach because we've got technology now. We can make choices. We can choose to be something else. We can. It's kind of the American dream model that's kind of infiltrated our, our sense of what it is to be a person, that we're always, um, we always have this invitation to choose something else, something better, and, and that always seems to be um, the direction that we're kind of 
gently encouraged um, towards. Mm. Um, and that's fine, but I think that um, it just gets too confusing. And Seth Godin has an interesting quote, which is quote, which is quite stoic, um, but ha- and I think um, this is a fundamental difference. So I'm going to talk about Seth Godin really quickly, and then Epictetus, which sure, I think yeah. they kind of sound similar. Seth's got. Seth Godin's got this great quote and um, he talks about making a decision. So basically he says, you know, you might wake up tomorrow and you might not want to do your work. And I read it from a creative writing point of view as as the writer. I might wake up tomorrow and not want to do the work. But basically he says, and I'm totally paraphrasing, is that um, the thing is that the decision has been made. You've made the choice to be the writer. And therefore, once you've made the choice, the meeting has has happened. You don't need to have that meeting every day. What am I going to do today? I'm going to be a writer. No, the meeting has happened. So make the choice to be who you are or whatever it is that you feel is your your way of being in the world. Make the choice. And once you've made the choice, then you just do the work. So the cognitive load is lifted and you make the choice and you just do the work every day. That's the Seth Godin version. Mm. And the Epictetus version, I think, I think is when he talks about that you were born um, to play a role on this earth, right? Mm. So you're a character in a play for Epictetus, and I guess that world, the script was written by someone else, the gods or I don't know what. So all you mm. had to do was just to accept and identify and look internally to really see what role it was that you were put on this earth to play, what character it is, what role, and do the work. Uh, with Seth's model, it seems that that choice is with us. We have to mm. make a conscious choice to be the person that we're supposed to be. And I think that shift, I think that's what complicates things and makes mm. it difficult to really sense our nature because the pressure is on us to make the choice and have we made the right choice? Should I be a creative writer? Should I be a married creative writer? Should I be, you know, we can't, there's just so much um, cognitive kind of murkiness there that, um, and I'm not suggesting that, you know, we relinquish the choice, but uh, is there a way to think about that? Um, and to go back to your question, is there a way to, uh, to, to make the choice at one point and how do you do that? Um, knowing that the, cho- the whole burden of choosing the right role to play on this earth is with us, right? Mm. Back yeah. in the day, they didn't have that, comp- that added complication. I don't know if that's answering your question, even continuing that conversation. But. No, it, it definitely is. Um, no, you don't have to worry at all because everything you're saying is very interesting to me and I'm, I'm, I'm interested in pursuing this idea because I couldn't agree more with the idea that it actually complicates things to place the burden of so many options upon our minds, you know, and and... and it's like, you know, you grow up and at age 18, you're supposed to be like, okay, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? <laughs> and and I was thinking about this the other day. We might even transition into a conversation about uh, uh, creativity as well because for the past year, I've been really exploring my creativity because I decided, okay, I really want to understand this idea of living in agreement with nature. And it's funny, all of last year, I had this inclination in my mind that kept on coming up every so often and saying, you know what, Simon, I really hope that the thing that you learn this year is not that you have to go back and do music again, because I'd kind of fallen out of the industry for a while. And I was distracted with all kinds of things. And 
And it was funny to me. It kept on popping up. Really hope you don't learn that. It would be really inconvenient for you, you know. And then I just started wondering what that would look like. And I started dipping my toes in into music again. And I, you know, I bought myself a piano, uh, you know, which is an instrument I loved when I was younger, but, you know, didn't study it. I, I finished my music degree. I started playing more music. Um, actually, just yesterday, I've released my first piano album and I, and I love it. But the thing that I learned, right, the thing that I learned was that there's something so freeing and necessary about finding and giving time to that thing that you genuinely feel interested in. And I said to one of my clients today, I said, you know, like, I've learned something about myself. I'm really, really, really lazy. And I don't do anything that I don't want to do. And I don't want to do anything that I don't want to do. But I've noticed that when I do the things that I really want to do, what I create when I do those things is so much better than anything I have ever created by saying, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to force myself into, you know, into this direction. And so there truly is something that we have lost in this idea that we have all these choices as opposed to, no, maybe, you know, like Sharon LaBelle says, you know, maybe there is a seat in the theater of life that you're supposed to sit in. And maybe, maybe if you sat in it, things would start happening. And and we don't know the extent to which that is true, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that there's so much pressure on us from, you know, a young age to, be good, but what does that even mean? To get good grades, to um, you know, to be good external, to look good externally, to mm. have the grades, to have brush your hair, to I don't know, marry the right person, whatever it is. And um, I guess there's no encouragement to really just be quiet and listen and pay attention to what you just said. Where do you feel like you're performing your best? Yeah. And, and it a is a feeling game, right? It's feeling, isn't it? It's just, yeah, which then, of course, goes back to the Stoics, I think, because, and it's interesting that I'm talking about going back to the Stoics. Well, we are talking about the Stoics, I guess, mm. ultimately. But um, when you said feelings, because I think that, um, you know, the end goal of Stoicism really, and it, it it's kind of really obvious because it just says, it just go to the Wikipedia page or, you know, the um, the Stanford Encyclopedia page and it just explains what stoicism is all about. But to really understand it, it, it's taken me forever. But it is about the end goal of stoicism is about achieving a sense of flow, a, ten, a, ten, a sense of being okay, being good, going well, flourishing, eudaimonia. It's a eudaimonic philosophy, right? And yeah. that is essentially a sense it's not, you can't count it, you can't see it, you can't get awarded it, you can't be given a certificate for it. So the criteria is very touchy-feely inside, you know, how does, mm. how does living well feel like for you? It tends to feel like not having um, conflict or at least when there is conflict to be able to, you know, gently deal with it. So I don't think we're encouraged to listen to those feelings yeah and to to identify what's going on there we're encouraged to fight against them to overcome them and uh and i guess we get mixed up there's this great do you know the poet david white w-h-y-t-e no i don't know 
So he's a poet who um, is really into, well, he comes from a Buddhist, he has a whole Buddhist tradition, etc. And he writes a whole lot of poetry that is so meditative. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, he's, he's kind of a meditative poet, I guess one could say, he's a philosopher. Um, but he talks about um, paying attention to yourself and the idea um, he talks about and he asked the question, when was the last time that you remember that someone asked you a question and you were allowed to not have the answer? And you were allowed to mm. just sit in silence and just let it be, just not have the answer. And I, if I think back, it's probably like I was four years old. I don't know. I can't think of the last time when not quickly answering a question um, was okay. And I think that that rush to do that, sends us off track, distracts us, pulls us away from things. Yeah, I'm slightly, I'm starting a tangent now, so bring me no, back to No, this is a, no, this yeah. is a good, it's a good direction. You know, I, I think that the, the more we can encourage people to take that time to sit with themselves, to, to listen to themselves and to, to try and, you know, discover what is really within the mind, you know, and, and within consciousness, it's like, you know, that's, that's what we need, especially in a world where it is so fast paced, you know, so demanding, you know, have all these things that you need to do. Um, it's, it's necessary. And, and, you know, I can't help but feel that uh, virtue, you know, because virtue is kind of that next step right before you get that you know, living in agreement with nature. It's like mm. you know, living in agreement with nature and eudaimonia, that's the destination, but virtue is the pathway, right? Mm. And I can't help but think that in the hierarchy of virtue, it's like the ultimate virtue is when you are taking that seat that you're supposed to sit in in the theatre mm. of life because in that way you're putting yourself in the proper place within the hierarchy of nature itself and and of of the conscious universe you know and so mm. it it it's certainly like it it's a brilliant idea that the christians then took and and put it into obviously the the, the new testament and i don't know nearly enough about this as i as i should but you know that idea in the sermon on the mount is the idea that if you bring your attention back to this moment, this day, and deal with, you know, it's like that line, uh, uh, what is it, um, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. If, if you'll just focus on today, then the things of tomorrow will be taking care of themselves because you're mm. practicing virtue mm. in this moment. And if you yeah. can always practice vir virtue in this moment, mm. then you're basically setting yourself up to the structure of your very being is then going to be virtue. So things will happen in the future that you'll have to deal with, but you'll deal with them then, you know, and, and you won't be so burdened by the future or the past. And we, 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 those ideas relate because we're trying to as perfectly as we can slot ourselves into the rightful place within this kind of conscious universe that if we were to fulfill that purpose, then we would be the best person for that job, essentially. Mm. And I think that we can talk about creativity as well. Do you, could you just give me one moment? I've just got to duck out 
for one second. I, I, there's just some noise going on out there. I just want to check what it is. <laughs> cool. So hopefully you didn't see my like news anchor set up here where I've just got shorts on underneath. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, you do that. Uh, you do that shuffle quite well. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to. I wanted to dive into the creativity side of things because um, you know we're both artists in in our own right. You know, uh, and, and I do a lot of writing as well. And 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 you work with creative people all the time. I actually really think that the world of kind of cult, uh, culture is too big of a you know, music, art, literature, um, creative people can really inform an aspect of stoicism that can really bring to life an aspect of stoicism that is necessary and that is often not seen, I would say, by the more strictly academic types. Um, within Stoicism, because, you know, obviously highly creative people and highly academic people, although they overlap often, they do have different makeups, you know, and, and, and so, you know, people who are highly creative are going to see something different in this philosophy. And what I've noticed from Seneca, for example, is he also said something like, uh, you know, uh, life is like a play. It's not the length that matters, but the excellence of the acting. Mm. Seneca was a highly creative person. He wrote plays, you know, tragedies, uh, you know, he was an orator, you know, this guy was ultra creative and he was a brilliant writer as well. Mm. Um, mm. And you think he, he saw himself as a gentler kind of stoic as well. And I'm, I'm wondering if, if you think that kind of the world of, well, it, it's my idea that my, my thought, at least that the world of creativity can show us that, life is so much about feeling. It's like you listen to music and you cannot help but feel emotions. Mm. And you can't just say, oh, I don't want to feel that. It's going to happen, right? And so art and music and literature, they they teach us this. And it's been my in my kind of, uh, I've had these, these, I've been thinking, you know, like if you merge those worlds together, you get something truly beautiful where you get, the self-scrutiny and the, and the responsibility and I'm going to work on my life, but you also get, yeah. and I'm going to feel, I'm really going to feel and I'm really going to mm-hmm. see and hear and, and know something about myself. What do you think creative people and, and you, you know, artists can teach us about, uh, I, I, actually, let me put it like this. How can creativity and artistry inform stoicism through your experience? And also how can philosophy going back to what you do with your career, how can philosophy help artists and creative people with what they do? That's interesting because the second question is easier than the first question, right? Because I've, <laughs> I've always been thinking how, does sto- how could stoicism inform and help creatives? Um, so I'll start there and then go back to the other one because that's even more interesting actually. Mm. I think there are two ways that stoicism can inform and help creative practice and one is a very banal reason. Um, and that is the re- that that was the reason that kind of brought me back to stoicism. I um, just quick background. I sure. uh, studied philosophy at the University of Sydney, and didn't didn't read the Stoics on campus because you don't do this. Well, back then anyway, you didn't do the Stoics on campus. You um, did you know the Pre-Socratics, Plato, Aristotle, and then you zoomed ahead to. At the Enlightenment, Zoom, um, Hume, etc., and so I encountered the Stoics much later um, and off campus, and then resisted them. I felt that as a creative writer, where high tragedy was, you know, what life was all about—drama, 
poetry. I felt that the Stoics and, I mean, at that point I'd only really looked at Epictetus. I hadn't encountered Marcus Aurelius or Seneca until the last five years. Um, I felt the Stoics, Epictetus, were really just not poets in any way. The writing was not interesting at all and therefore I thought there was no way these two worlds could ever connect. Mm. Living, you know, because I, I inherited that great um, myth of the artist, the capital R romantic myth that we have to suffer and it's all about highs and lows and that's the way you do art and carried that on until quite recently that art was always going to be a lonely and difficult path. Right? I don't know what your path was like but um, that has that's really shifted lately and I'm going to bring Elizabeth Gilbert to the table. Have you read Big Magic? Do you know her book, Big Magic? No, I haven't, no. So Elizabeth Gilbert is like Eat, Pray, Love fame and she mm. wrote a book on creativity and um, she touches on a whole lot of Stoic concepts in there. She's not a Stoic in any way herself but um, the whole idea of demystifying creative practice, of not being so precious about it, of just seeing mm. it as a thing that you have to, if, if it is your character and your role to play in this world, to be a musician or a writer, then you just do it. You do it every day. It doesn't have to be great art. doesn't have to be capital A art. So this whole process of demystifying the process, I think the Stoics can really inform um, the creatives about that. That's that's a mm. really good thing that you, the Stoics can say. Um, there are too many stories of, you know, musicians, artists, creatives, writers who create this perfect work, the first novel, um, and then do nothing after that. Um, mm. or have, you know, great paintings as a youth and then do nothing after that. And um, Elizabeth Gilbert and Epictetus would have a lot to say to creatives on that level just to enjoy the work every day, just see it as a practice, as your ritual, as your duty. Actually, I was talking to Sharon LaBelle the other day and um, for her it's duty that once mm. you are the musician, if that's your role to play, you have a duty to show up every day and to do your work, mm. and that's very Seth Godin as well. Okay, so that's the banal reason, I think, the kind of motivational push um, that the Stoics can provide. Um, I want to mention um, this book. I've got it here because kind of it's a bit of a Bible. Do you know this book? It's... Um, oh, yeah, uh, you know, I haven't read it yet, but I have I have talked to uh, Piot. Piot, yeah, that's it. Yeah. I think it's Piotr um, Stankiewicz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I just found this, like when it was, it was published about two years ago, saw it on my Facebook feed, contacted Piotr and said, I, I really need to read it and review it. And I did, I wrote a review for um, Stoicism Today, which is the modern Stoicism blog. Mm. And he, it's, this is a very academic book, but he comes up with a lot of interesting things that could help creative. So he talks about, you know, things like, um, and this is not a sponsored post in any way. No, 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 um, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah. uh, I just, I just, uh, this book really transformed a lot of my thinking. So he talks about um, things like fame that, you know, creatives are really often interested in, becoming famous or at least having your work, you know, have a reputation. Mm -hmm. Again, he brings in the dichotomy of control, what's outside, uh, you know, you can't control what people are going to think. You can't contr control what reviewers are going to write. So I think the dichotomy of control coming from the Stoics can really help mm. with a creative's sanity once their work goes out into the world. It's actually mm. literally 
out of your hands now. You've done the work and that's it. So he talks about fame, talks about um, the issue of preservation, so your work having a legacy. Again, um, you know, Marcus Aurelius says that, um, you know, you're going to die and then there'll be some people left after you who might remember you for a bit, but then they're going to die too. Mm. And then... And then they, and then everyone's going to end up dying. So you might not actually ever be remembered. So I think talking, you know, reading the Stoics and learning about the Stoics also helps just, you know, relinquish that desire to write for leaving behind a legacy. Now, Seneca is really interesting because he wrote, I don't know which letter it is, but he writes to Lucilius at one point because Lucilius is really distracted by doing stuff that will make him famous and have a reputation and and a reputation after life. And Seneca is saying, look, just do your work, just do your philosophy and study. And, um, you know, we're writing letters together, says Seneca. I'm going to, if you do good work, I'll put your name in my letters and my letters will be remembered, so therefore you will be remembered. So I think Mm. another note for the creatives, write letters to people like Seneca. That's a joke. (laughs) But, yeah, so those two things, if you want to jump in and interrupt me and. Um, well, yeah, I was just going to add, you know, yeah. yeah, definitely. Well, well, you know, one thing that I would add is I I like the idea of not caring about what you leave, not, not caring about the future kind of reputation. But Seneca also writes in one of his letters, uh, I did an episode on this recently, he, he, he writes that the reason why he's writing these letters is for the future generations to come. And see, I think that he switches it around. It's just coming to me now that he he's not saying, I want to do this because I want to have your reputation. Mm-hmm. He's saying, I want to do this because I have a duty to give the future generations something of value that can help them. Mm-hmm. It seems like it seems, you know, this is this might be a key moment in terms of uh, discovering this idea of living in agreement with nature as well. Because if you mm-hmm. if you have that duty, and if you say the best thing that I could possibly do with my life is find that thing that I'm really good at if I give my attention to it, mm-hmm. because ta- we we don't focus on talent enough. Like talent is so much of, <laughs> you know, like. I understand that we all like to think that everybody can just become anything that they want, but, but seriously, like, you know, talent goes a long way. And if you've got a talent in a way that does mean that you have a duty. And if you have that duty, then you can look at it like that and think, okay, the best thing that I could do is give something to the future generations, which would be me doing my best at whatever it is that I'm naturally good at that could leave them something of value. And it's funny that, you know, I think Sharon's whole philosophy is obviously rubbing off on me as well, because, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I know that yeah, she one does think about with her and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, yeah. you know, like I had this moment, um, I'll, I'll tell you this, that a few weeks ago I was sitting at the piano and I was practicing. Um, I, I don't practice. I was playing around having a great time. And uh, and I was I was trying to get this 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 piece together this composition and um, you know you know whenever whenever you're doing anything creative as you know it's it's like you start out with an idea and then it's like you know you gotta you gotta go into the weeds for a bit and you're gonna sound terrible but eventually it's gonna get better and for some reason the inspiration just came to me I was thinking you know 
okay, think of this as a duty. It's funny you mentioned that because I was thinking about that when I was playing it and, and I noticed, it was really strange, I noticed that when I brought my mind back to duty, like this is your responsibility now to, to, to focus, to breathe, to pay attention, to try and just do this the best that you can do. And I noticed that it actually really helped me. I thought it was really weird, actually. I thought it was strange that in that moment, something so simple could be so uh, tangibly effective. Mm -hmm. And I've definitely had so many experiences over the past year and a half getting back into music where I've thought, man, philosophy, I mean, I can't believe I went to university and studied music and they didn't teach me this stuff, you know, this stuff which is so necessary um, and maybe I was just a terrible student and didn't see it. I, that's probably the case, but, but, you know, like, I think it's so important to recognize that, but um, I yeah, that. yeah. I, I don't know. Like, sorry, Dubin. One more example um, of uh, a good student, Arian, right? The guy who wrote down Epictetus's mm. um, discourses. So, so I'm coming obviously from a creative writing point of view, where you know originality and genius and all that is really important in creating work right and one of the big problems for me over the years because I sort of came back to stoicism because I was really blocked I had writer's block which I've kind of analyzed as you know an existential crisis but um what Arian says in the prologue to the discourses he basically says and this just blew me away he says look I'm I'm not the author of this work. Um, I did not write these. These words are not mine. What I'm doing is recording what Epictetus taught us as best I can. Again, as you mentioned um, just earlier, um, I'm recording Epictetus's words for future generations. Um, and he says at one point, and then in the prologue, he says, and I don't care if people think that I I'm not a writer or I can't be a writer, but my, my job right now is just to record Epictetus's mm. teachings, right? And that blew me away. This is Arian who probably, I mean, obviously brilliant scholar, brilliant, you know, writer. Um, and that's what interests me for creatives, to be able to just let go of the sense of ownership of the process and, and ideas and, and by virtue of Arian just listening to Epictetus, he produced a massively important work, mm. right? And then just quickly going over to Marcus Aurelius. And for me, Marcus Aurelius came alive and I fell in love with him um, by virtue, with the help of Pierre Hadot and, um, and you know, Gregory Hayes' translation. Gregory Hayes mm. has got a really wonderful introduction to the translation. And both Hadot and Gregory Hayes pick up on some literary aspects of the Marcus Aurelius, which really helped me just feel, feel better about the text and really sort of enjoy the text. And so Gregory Hayes says in the introduction to his translation of the Meditations, he says that um, Marcus Aurelius does not do any original philosophical work in the text. So what he's doing is literally just rehashing Epictetus and, you know, so what he does is um, rewrite and reframe and re-express and reformulate over and over and over again with his own words the teachings of the Stoics before him, mm. right? 
which seems like a very derivative work, right? Um, because there's no original philosophy in it. But if you read the meditations and you understand that he has produced um, a work that, that sings, that actually makes Stoicism come alive with the beauty and the poetry and the imagery mm. and it's just, ooh, it's just so strong. And according to Hado, this is because the practice was to rewrite the teachings and to pay, and I think Fronto also um, helped uh, teach Marcus Aurelius how to do this, so how to rewrite the teachings, how to rephrase them, paying careful attention to the words and the syntax so that you could choose the words and um, that would really speak to you, that would strike your psyche, these are Hado's words, strike your psyche so loud that it would literally just transform your perspective. Mm. Um, and so one of the practices that I do with my little group online, my Stoic Salon group online, we do a whole lot of work challenges, journaling challenges, working with the meditations. And literally we read a meditation and then we break it down into bullet points, for example, look at the words, you know, maybe replace a word without changing the meaning, replace a word that maybe strikes us, is amplified. I think Hado calls it rhetorical amplification mm. um, so that the more amplified each word is in the maxims, the easier it is then to memorise so that you can almost internalise the practice, internalise the perspective so that when you go out into the world of chaos, you are, well, your default approach to the world is somehow informed by Stoic mm. teaching. So yeah. fascinating. Yeah, I, re I really resonate with, um, it, you know, this, this idea that you want to be able, like, obviously if you can describe something and how it works, then it's going to mean so much more to you than just reading the words in, in, in the page. And I think that, you know, Carl Jung has good wisdom for this. He says, he says, be, be very careful of unearned wisdom, you know, and it's very easy to, you know, to read this stuff and then think, you know, okay, cool. I get it. But yeah. then you start to really think about one idea and then you get deeper and deeper and deeper. And then you reach that place, like you said, where it's, it's, it's almost like the understanding becomes a part of you because mm. it's so alive with meaning. And then, you know, this is, well, at least this has been my experience. Then you realize that you want to feel that all the time. And you can, if you're willing to go a little bit deeper and it's almost like a Gnostic, pursuit you know it's it's like know who you are right and and gain a deeper understanding of who you are as it relates to the philosophy and that's mm. kind of like a, a pathway to wisdom but um I, I i agree with you i have certainly found that marcus aurelius has a poetic and almost almost like a mystical style to his writings um i actually mm. wrote a whole poem on his one little line um the body is a river, the soul a dream and mist. I think, yeah. man, that's, you know, that, you just skip over that and you think, oh, cool, 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 Marcus, you know, yeah. but but do any of us really stop and think, what the hell does he mean <laughs> by the body <laughs> yeah. is a river, the soul yeah. a dream and mist? Yeah. It's not just poetry. It's There's something in there. And I think that, you know, because we've moved in such a direction of um, materialism and, and you know, uh, you know, the world is void of anything holy and divine. It's all just these physical realities around us. It's like, you know, I think that 
I think that what Marcus Aurelius teaches is there is something so divine about humans, about mm. humanity, and and about this world that we're living in. And um, yeah, we it it just reminds me that as history moves forward, we need to humble ourselves and say. Mm maybe they knew some stuff that I actually don't know and that my culture has forgotten that I need to now revivify and bring to life again. And it sounds like that's what you believe Marcus Aurelius was doing is bringing it back to life in his own mind. And, and you made me think of something going like just moving away from this a little bit, Mm. but the idea of, um, you know, awe and, and yes, or like that sense of wowness. Um, mm. I think that because um, uh, you know we have science today, and that makes us feel that we're so you know in control, and we know so much, and there seems to be um, there seems to be no room for mystery for the mysteries in the world. Mm. And um, that's a big issue for anyone who doesn't have a faith. And I'm I'm an atheist. Um, and I've had a real problem with with and that and this problem has influenced my um, creative practice has really you know um, stunted it to a certain extent the fact that there has been no no sense of faith and I don't mean necessarily faith but even faith in my duty to be a writer in my duty to do my job mm. um, lost the faith so to speak. And I think that science um, makes it really easy to just depend on science. But the thing is about science is that, you know, quantum mechanics, um, even the physicists are in a state of not, and I've been talking to some physicists lately, um, there's so much that you don't know in that world. Mm. There's so much room for mystery. So what I'm thinking now that even for any atheist listeners um, on the on your podcast that there is still room even with science even if quantum mechanics is true even if determinism is true there's so much that we still do not know and so there is certainly that gap and I think for me mystery occurs in the in the gap between what you know and what you don't know yeah and um, Marcus Aurelius talks about you know worshiping your mind. And, you know, we have neuroscience today, so what is there to worship when it's all like, you know, you can see it, you can mm. name it. But we, you and I, don't know how our mind works. I mean, mm. we can refer to the neuroscientists, but we don't know. That's a, that's a leap of faith, you know. What does the neuroscientist say? So I yeah. feel that I've kind of reclaimed my, my sense of awe in the, about the world in response mm. to the world. And also my faith in this amazing faculty that I've got in my head that allows me to like have this interaction with you. I mean, that is awesome. And it's wild. Um, I think <laughs> it's it's so wild, right? Yeah. And for years I was like, yeah, no worries, it's science. Yeah, it's neuroscience. And like I lost that wowness. And I think that stoicism, oddly, here I am saying. Stoicism allowed me or encouraged me gently to bring that faith back and not in any um, sort of religious form but in that pure form of just paying attention to how awesome the world is, how awesome Mm. 
I am and not in that individual sense that we have today where I'm so awesome, I'm so skilled, I'm, I've mm. got an IQ of 120, yay me. It's not that. It's like whatever your IQ is, the fact that you have a brain that works the way it does mm. and you don't even know how it works, that blows me away. Have yeah. I gone off, tan- off topic no, again? No, it's, no, it's great. <laughs> you know, I think, I think that, you know, we, we spend our whole lives looking outwards Right. And if you really think about it, everything out here is unbelievably complicated. I don't know how this computer works. I will never know how it works. And to me, it's not even a computer. It's, it's, it's like it's, it's an alien that somehow does things that I want it to do. Right. But um, and, and you think, OK, the world that we see is completely complicated. But then you turn around and you look within yourself and you realize, oh crap, it's even more complicated. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like you could dive into that and never, and, and, and I mean, look, as far as neuroscience goes, we still don't fully understand consciousness. And I don't think we ever will. I think it yeah. is the, it is the, the paradise that is always just beyond our reach, you know? And I think that that, you know, just when you realize that the external and internal world are both equally complicated and complex and ununderstandable, you know, like I think that it's, it's just, it should blow you away. It should fill you with awe. In fact, you know, literally in my last conversation with Sharon LaBelle, I'm bringing her up because I'm, I, I love her. And, uh, but, but <laughs> yes, my last one, we were talking about, <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about this idea of we need to experience grandeur, you know, a lot mm. more often we need to like Seneca, you know, he walked in these lofty woodlands and he's, you know, he's looking up at the trees and he's thinking, you know, wow, it's, it's, it's incredible. And, you know, we need to have these experiences that wake us up to the complexity of the world, but also we need to pay attention and see that that complexity and that grandeur exists absolutely everywhere. You know, like walk in a city, that's no, that's, that's no simple affair. I mean, humans built that. We, we built these giant trees, <laughs> you know, that, 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 that keep people in them. And it's like, it's a silly thing to say, but it's, it's, it's true. You know, it's, it's amazing, and and we need to regain that sense of uh, of the absolute beauty and majesty of everything that is happening here, even if life sucks sometimes, and even if you have a really rough go of life, and you know, there's always something that you can look at and be amazed, you know. And um, but yeah, you know, like, let's 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 take a left turn here. I want to give you a chance to talk about what you're doing coming up with Stoic X, Stoic Stoicon X. That's it for women. And uh, yeah. I want to. What are you doing with this? What's what's the plan? What do you hope to get out of it? What do you hope that the people will get out of it? And um, and uh, where can people find it? And and I think this kind of will sort of also answer the question that I didn't end up answering, which is what can creatives or what can other voices, how can they inform stoicism? Because we've been going kind of the other way. How can academia mm. philosophers inform others? Um, so with the Stoicon X Women Conference, um, it's a conference that is taking place on June the 5th. And uh, the theme is Practical Paths to Flourishing. And the website is paths2flourishing.org. Now, uh, Donald Robertson, who um, we all know is um, 
part of modern stoicism and um, runs a fairly large Facebook page and uh, is very vocal in the community. Had an idea of um, having a women's conference and he invited me and Brittany Polat, who is part of modern stoicism, to have a think if we wanted to go and do this. And we did. And so we started working on a conference that would be organised by women um, and for women, but it's actually open, the invitation is open to absolutely everyone. Mm. We just thought that it might be interesting to see what happens if you have a conference where the louder voices maybe are women. And... Brittany and I had a really clear idea of where we wanted to go with this. We wanted it to be a practical conference. So we invited speakers who uh, were more practising philosophers rather than academic philosophers. Mm. Um, So Sharon LaBelle, who we love, we all love, the world loves her. She's our keynote speaker. And so we put out an invitation for papers that were kind of practical in nature And what came back to us was really interesting, actually. We've got three sub-themes of mindfulness, creativity, and care, Mm. self-care, compassionate self-care, care care for the family, et cetera. And that was quite unexpected um, for a stoic conference to focus on things like mindfulness, creativity, and uh, it just came organically from these uh, stoic women who are, some are, you know, teaching philosophers, Jennifer Baker, Rangini George over at University of Toronto, um, Brittany Polat, of course, um, and others. Jamie Lombardi is also um, speaking. Um, you've got Greg Sadler is speaking with Andy. They're, they're co-leading a session on um, how to build a solid relationship. So it's quite a varied panel uh, and uh, I think it's bringing in some interesting topics. So Stoicism and meditation, Stoicism and mindfulness, Rangini George um, teaches uh, Stoicism, Buddhism and creative writing, meditative writing over at the University of Toronto and she'll be speaking about that. Um, Sharon LaBelle is going to be talking about creativity. I'm leading a panel um, on, um, yeah, creativity in the Stoics because that's really what I'm interested in as as Mm. we've discovered today. And um, care, parenting, um, and self care, compassionate self care. So these topics are really interesting. I'm not sure they've been so highly, um, so obviously kind of um, spoken about at previous conferences. And that was a, a really nice surprise for us to have, um, mm. you know, suggestions for dis- um, papers on um, those topics. Uh, We're also running a campaign. It's called the Paths to Flourishing Campaign. Um, We want people's stories. So we're really interested in the stories of everyone who has encountered Stoicism, who calls themselves a Stoic or might be Stoic curious. Um, What was the path that led you to Stoicism? That's what we're really interested in. And what was that pivotal moment, the moment at which you met Stoicism and then what happened afterwards? It's kind of like the Zeno shipwreck moment. Like we want to mm. know what your shipwreck moment is. And um, the stories that have come out of that are just, again, stories that you don't normally see on social media from in Stoic communities. Mm. You know, stories about, you know, deaths of parents that really marked um, a person, uh, illnesses, et cetera, really vulnerable 
difficult, hard, hard stories that just, just you know, illustrate how hard our lives are and how, if we're lucky enough, some of us, I mean, there are many paths to flourishing, of course. It's not just the stoic path. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's, that's the conference in a nutshell. And, um, yeah, I'm also um, doing a bit of a, a, a pop-up podcast where I'm talking to all the speakers uh, in the lead-up to the conference, and that's, that's just called the Stoic Salon Podcast. And um, I spoke to Sharon LaBelle just last week. And, uh, and is this going yeah. to be a long-term thing? Are you going to keep, keep it going? or? Yeah, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it. I'm, at the moment, I'm just seeing it as a little pop-up uh, in the lead-up yeah. to the conference. But the conversations are, and I'm sure as you found, you know, I, I'm not sure what your intentions were when you first started the podcast, but certainly I'm very curious about seeing where it will take me. At the moment, I'm speaking with um, women, but I do want to speak with Kay Whiting and Leo um, who have written um, Being Better, which is a really interesting book and really overlaps a lot of the themes that we're talking about mm. at our conference. And, yeah, there's just so much that, uh, yeah, so who knows? I might continue that. Yeah, I hope you do because, you know, it'll take on, on a May. wonderful, yeah, well, you know, it'll yeah. take on a life of its own and yeah. um, and it's it's a lot of fun, you know, it's a lot of work but it's a lot of fun. I'm actually speaking to Kai tomorrow uh, about his hey. book, so, yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah. But, um, yeah. you know, Catherine, this is this has been such a fun conversation, really. I've, I've really enjoyed this, and, and I think that we've made uh, some interesting progress and a few ideas as well, which is great. So um, just tell me in the audience, uh, you know, when they hear this, uh, where can <laughs> they go to find out more about uh, the, the Women's Conference and, and also uh, how can they buy tickets to it um, and also where can they find your podcast? Right, so the podcast, just Google the Stoic Salon podcast and it's it'll just appear there for you. Um, and the Women's Conference, if you go to pathstoflourishing.org, you can buy a ticket there. It'll take you over to the Eventbrite site. Tickets are by donation and um, all um, profits will go to Modern Stoicism, which is a not-for-profit organisation that is built to, with a mission to just spread the word of Stoic philosophy um, to everyone. Uh, so donations, you can start as low as one pound if you, uh, one dollar rather, one Canadian dollar I think is <laughs> the exchange, the currency. Um, if you donate $50, you'll get an invitation to a special stoa event that's what we're calling it it's kind of a vip event but we're calling mm -hmm. it a special stoa event where you'll be able to sit with some of the speakers sharon the bell will be there in a more intimate um private space after the big zoom conference it'll be a smaller zoom room where you can chat um, with sharon and some of the other speakers and um, i'll also be running um a journaling with the stoics workshop on the sunday after the conference so um sunday the 6th of june a two-hour journaling um, workshop that I'll be running for anyone who donates $50. So. Awesome. Wonderful. Yep. Well, yeah, Catherine, I'm going to put all those links in the show notes. And uh, again, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I'm, ex I'm excited to talk to uh, Brittany as well. And, and that'll be a good yep. conversation. Yep. And uh, yep. um, I just really appreciate you guys, you know, reaching out and, and organizing this. And I'd, I'm really glad we got to have this conversation. I hope we get to have another one. Definitely. I'd love to chat with you more about creativity and stoicism because it's something I'm really exploring. So that would be Me great. too. So let's, let's yeah. do that, please. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practical Stoic Podcast. Remember that you can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Simon J.E. Drew. There you'll gain access to many exclusive episodes that haven't been released yet, as well as over 200 episodes recorded before 2020. If you'd like to work one-on-one with me as you move towards your ideal, then you can go to simonjedrew.com forward slash coaching. But for now, I'll talk to you next time.